0: welcome to Watchmen on the wall a daily outreach of southwest radio ministries and swrc.com this week clarity will be given to the chaos that's all around us michael samuel smith will share with us the return of moses dr lonnie shipman will explore the quest for the lost ark of the covenant and phil cross will share a unique way to use technology to share the gospel Southwest Radio Ministries and Watchmen on the Wall are here to proclaim God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. Moses is one of the most exciting personalities in the Bible. There's so much we can learn from him and his story. Throughout Moses' life, many types and shadows of Jesus Christ are revealed, as well as parallels to the society in which we live today. We welcome Michael Samuel Smith back to Watchman on the Wall today to look closer at Moses and to examine the prophecies that are associated with the Moses story, most of which you and I have probably never heard before.
1: Brother Mike, thank you so much for being on the show once again.
2: Well, thank you so much for the invitation to be on your show today, Dr. Spargimino. It's always a great honor to be with you.
1: Well, Brother Mike, after reviewing your DVD about your latest Moses teaching, you have an unusual title for this program, The Second Coming of Moses. What prompted you to select this title, and what would you like the folks to get out of the film?
2: Well, the reason we chose the title The Second Coming of Moses was because we wanted to first focus on Moses' birth and his first arrival and examine in detail his second coming, when he was 80 years old, returning back to Egypt from the 40 years in the desert in Midian to pressure the evil Pharaoh to let the Israelites go free. What we would like the folks to learn from this Moses documentary is to see there's a lot of prophecy in these stories, not just revealing the prophecies, but we want to show the Lord Jesus Christ and his concepts in all of it. Well, Pastor Larry, there's a gold mine of revelations in this DVD, and several of these concepts people have never heard before. And this film is the most detailed DVD ever made on Moses and the prophecies therein. All these stories are timeless and are well worth sharing with friends and family. The other thing we wanted the audience to know about is everything in this film was filmed with 4K camera technology. We show you pictures of the 10 plagues and show real pictures of boils on people to frogs, and lice, and even discuss real hailstones and various sizes and how they fall, you know, how fast they can fall. It's a real show-and-tell film, and the children will never forget this story, and God doesn't want us to forget it either. So we don't want to miss out on the greatest stories ever told. Amen.
1: Well, you certainly do a good job on relating the Old Testament Scripture to the New Testament and beyond, and... I must say myself, we've had you on over a span of several years. You find things that I never knew were there, and then when you check it out, they really are. You're not reading into the Bible. You're taking things out of the Bible, and I think that's commendable. But, Brother Mike, you said in your DVD there were several parallels between the story of Moses and Jesus about 1,500 years later. Tell us about that.
2: Well, we know Moses lived about 1,500 years before Christ was born. Ethnic cleansing was well underway at Moses' birth. The evil pharaoh ordered that all the male Hebrew babies were to be killed after birth. The idea was, if no Hebrew males were allowed to live over one generation, all the Israelites would die off. But God had a plan. There were two midwives found in Exodus chapter 1, Shiphrah and Puah, who disobeyed the pharaoh's order because they feared God. And because of their faith and courage, Moses was successfully born. Now, God was so pleased with what these two heroic women did, he actually built houses for them. Hmm. And it says that in Exodus chapter 1, verse 21. And just as God built a house for them, I believe he's building a house for us, the people of faith, as well. The parallel with Jesus was there was ethnic cleansing taking place after his birth, too. Right. We know King Herod had all the Hebrew baby boys two years old and younger murdered by the sword in Bethlehem. Herod's goal was that Jesus was probably in that group and would not be a future threat to him, to Herod's kingship, if you will. But mm. God had a plan, and in a dream, Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, took the baby Jesus to Egypt be preserved. So Moses and Jesus both have a connection to right. Egypt. In another parallel, Pastor Larry, let me say in another parallel between Moses and Jesus, when Moses came down the mountain after being there 40 days, he has the Ten Commandments with him, and we are well familiar with that story. But this will be the first time Moses comes down. You can clearly see that people are found living in sin with the golden calf event going on as well. Many scholars believe that day was the first Pentecost when Moses came down with the Ten Commandments. Mm. Well, many days later, when Moses came down the last time, his face is shining and all of Israel will be forgiven. Is it quite possible this could be the very first Feast of Atonement or Yom Kippur? I believe quite possibly it was. Well, the parallel with Jesus is when Jesus comes down the first time, 2,000 years ago, he too finds the people living in sin. In about 40 years after Jesus' death on the cross, the nation Israel is judged, the temple is destroyed, and years later the nation is displaced. Now when Jesus will come down the last time in our future, he'll be shining too, and all of Israel will be forgiven, and that second advent very well could take place on the Feast of Atonement as well. Well, praise God.
1: Well these stories in the Bible are so so loaded with exciting truths I'm, I'm thinking you mentioned Shipra and Puah and they feared God I think that's a good lesson for all of us today because I think in our government, we see the uh, FBI being weaponized and the IRS being weaponized, but but we need to do the right thing. We need to honor God. We need to fear him because he is the source of life, and he is the source of eternal life, and that's really what counts. Well, Brother Mike, you mentioned a lot of interesting talking points about Moses and the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. Let's unpack some of that for us.
2: As Moses was finished with his life in Midian, and he's nearly 80 years old now with a family of his own, he finds a burning bush, burning with fire but not being consumed. This story is found in Exodus chapter 3. And as we read in Exodus chapter 3, verse 2, where we read the word bush, if you go to the Strong's Concordance in the Hebrew section, number 5572, it tells us the word thorny bush in Hebrew. So, actually, it's a thorn bush. Thorns always represent pain and suffering in the Bible, and perhaps the presence of God was manifest in a thorn bush because he could feel the pain and suffering of the Israelite people that were suffering in Egypt. Now, there's a lot of things God is sharing with Moses at the burning bush. In fact, God gives Moses his marching orders there at the bush. even tells him everything he is expected to accomplish when he goes back to Egypt. By the way, we are of the opinion the Lord in the burning bush is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ pre-incarnate, and the fire is the presence of the Holy Spirit as well. Mm
1: -hmm. In your DVD, you discuss four different characteristics of God and his relationship with the Egyptians. Number one on that list was that God was merciful. Now that's, that's an interesting statement, but how can you make the claim that God was merciful when he allowed these ten plagues to come upon Egypt, and they were devastating.
2: Well, that's an excellent question, Pastor Larry. To start with, if the evil Pharaoh just did everything Moses suggested, the Egyptians wouldn't have suffered any harm at all. Of the four characteristics of God in our film that show God's concern towards the people of Egypt, I chose to talk about God's mercy as an example in plague number seven and number eight, God gave the Pharaoh a day's notice before it happened. Mm. In plague number seven, God had sent a grievous hail and thunderstorm, which had fire running along the ground, burning up everything. And God gave the Pharaoh a 24-hour advance notice for, in Exodus chapter 9, verse 18, it says, tomorrow about this time. This would have given the Pharaoh enough time to shelter the people and livestock, Not only did the pharaoh not comply with this request, but he never told his people this was coming, and many probably died. Also, in plague number eight, where the locust plague took place, even after a day's notice it was coming, the pharaoh once again rejected Moses' request. Egypt's economy was not only shattered, but Egypt would now face famine and not short term. I believe there are lessons that America could learn from this Egyptian story as well. When you deny Christ at the federal level and state level, there are serious consequences too. Now, there's a couple talking points I wanted the folks to know. We all know God could just have taken out the Pharaoh, but that alone wouldn't necessarily free the Israelites. The Lord expressly said in Exodus chapter 9, verse 16, for to show in thee my power and that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. So God had such an impact on the world with the Exodus story. About 40 years after leaving Egypt, when the Israelites were about to enter Canaan land and overthrow the city of Jericho, even Rahab the harlot commented in Joshua chapter 2, verse 10, For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. Another point of interest, all of the ten plagues were directed against the false gods of Egypt, and it says that in Numbers chapter 33, verse
1: 4. Well, that idea of warning and about America, I I think there are so many warnings. We're just bogged down in, in a war involving Russia and the Ukraine. We have so many problems in our cities. Even some people who don't know the Bible and don't know anything about Bible prophecy, they say something like, well, isn't this in the Bible? Don't we read about this in the book of Revelation? And wow, I just realize in a new and fresh way that God is gracious, he'd rather save, he'd rather redeem than destroy and bring judgment. And I think those points that you make, especially in Plague 7 and 8, are very, very important. But Brother Mike, in your DVD, you had a short clip about the Israelites applying the blood on their door frames on Passover night. You directed the story to all the Jewish people who do not believe that Jesus was the Son of God. Well, what did you say about that?
2: Well, the reason I chose to tell this story about the blood that was applied to the doorframe on Passover night is because there is another angle to the story Christians are not familiar with. Now, most Christians know the blood on the left post, top post, and right post have a connection to Jesus on the cross, as well as two other men on the cross on Jesus' left and right. And certainly, that does show a prophetic picture. However, the Hebrew side of the story is the Israelites applied the blood on the entire outside of the door frame using hyssop as a paintbrush. By the way, hyssop is the smallest of trees. So when a Jew stands back from the outside and looks at the doorframe, it appears in the shape of a Hebrew letter, which looks like a doorframe. And that Hebrew letter is chet, that's C-H-E-T. As you know, each Hebrew letter has the numerical value, and the letter chet equals number eight, a new beginning. Now, many Jewish women today wear a pendant around their neck, And that pendant is in the shape of the Hebrew letter Chet. If you ask the woman, what is that pretty pendant around your neck, she would probably say, well, we call that Kai, that's C-H-A-I. And all of them would tell you that Kai, which is in the shape of the Hebrew letter Chet, it represents life. So the blood on the doorframe back in Egypt is in the shape of the letter Chet, and it represents life. It's all about that. And all the Jews know that. What I wanted the non-believing Jews to know is Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, John chapter 14, verse 6. And Jesus said, I am the door in several verses in the New Testament. John chapter 10, verse 9, of course, says that too. So we want the traditional Jews who do not believe in Jesus to know. Jesus is the life, and Jesus is in the door and his presence is written in the blood on the doorframe on Passover night 3,500 years ago. Mm, So we can all learn a great lesson from the Hebrew letter, Chet. Amen.
1: Well, certainly the Bible tells us to uh, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and we see what's going on there. The rockets from the west, uh, the threats from the east, from Iran, from Hamas in the north, I know you have a love for the Jewish people. I have a love for the Jewish people. We we look at the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis chapter 15, and, and we believe that, well, actually Abraham did not have to keep any promises. God did. He went between the pieces of the slain animal. What do you hear from Israel about the Messianic movement? I understand there are Jewish people who are following Yeshua HaMashiach.
2: Well, yes, there are. Every day that goes by, there are more and more people that are coming to know Jesus. You know, we have a lot of not only Christian people that visit Israel, but there's Christians from all over the world that visit there. And, of course, they share some stories with the Jewish people, but there is no question the Lord is moving in a very mighty way, not yes. only in Israel, but here in the United States, with yes. Jewish people, too.
1: Absolutely. It's amazing what's happening even in California. I know you believe in end-time revival. I do, and I think we're seeing it now. There's a tremendous pushback against all the evil. Both you and I know your heart. We encourage people to pray for revival in America, in Israel, all over the world, and it is happening today in different parts of the world. But Brother Mike, you brought up another story about the Passover night. And stated that there are only two times ever in human history that there were two nights in one day. Now, how do you explain that?
2: Well, in plague number nine, God brought total darkness to Egypt that lasted three full days. But in Goshen, where the Israelites lived, it was a normal day and night. Looking at the third day, there was darkness during the day in Egypt. Then in Goshen, around 6 p.m. that night, there was nighttime. So between the skies of Egypt and Goshen, you could say there were two nights and one day. When we read Exodus chapter 12, verse 6, God instructs the Jews to kill the Paschal Lamb on the 14th of Nisan, which is the first full moon of spring. As we read in Exodus chapter 12, verse 6, it says to kill it in the evening. That phrase in Hebrew literally says to kill it between the two evenings. Now, it's very important that we understand this, that the Israelites killed the lamb between the two evenings, the day there were two nights in one day. Now, about 1500 years later, Jesus was hanging on the cross for six hours, 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. But at 12 noon, the sunshine turned to darkness from 12 noon to 3 p.m., a total of three hours of total darkness in the middle of the day. And it says that in Mark chapter 15, verse 33 not only did jesus die on the cross about 3 p.m as the sun was coming out again but it also took place on the 14th of nisan as exodus chapter 12 verse 6 tells us according to the law so what's the big deal well the big deal is jesus died between the two evenings 12 noon to 3 p.m and then normal darkness at 6 p.m by the way these were the only two times ever in human history where there were two nights in one day Now, some commentaries say there might have been a total solar eclipse from noon to 3 p.m. However, that's completely false. Mm. Why? Because it's scientifically impossible to have a solar eclipse that lasts more than eight minutes. This one was three hours. Mm. Just to show how miraculous this event was on the day where there was a full moon like the day of Passover, it's impossible to have a total solar eclipse anywhere in the world on that day. I wonder how many people knew that. Well, what does all this prove? It proves that Jesus the Messiah really was the Son of God. Amen.
0: We'll have more insight on Moses on our next program. Dive deeper into the exciting story of Moses with Michael Samuel Smith's brand new DVD, The Second Coming of Moses. Throughout Moses' life, many types and shadows of Jesus Christ are revealed, as well as parallels to the society we live in today. In this DVD, you'll be amazed at how many prophecies are associated with Moses, and most of them you've probably never heard before. For example, did you know that the rapture and the marriage supper of the Lamb are both in the Moses narrative? The Second Coming of Moses is a great educational resource for the whole family. Be prepared for a Moses story you'll never forget. Order your copy of The Second Coming of Moses today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or visit our website, swrc.com. Micah Van Hus, author of Ancient Cities and the Gods Who Built Them, as well as his new book, The Earth As It Was. He's here to share his insights on nuclear warfare that he believes could have occurred 3,500
3: years ago. Did a nuclear war occur in our ancient past? Were we once knuckle-dragging dimwits or were recreated intelligent beings with the ability to speak and reason. What technology did mankind possess before the flood of Noah? What technology is buried under the ice in Antarctica or under the water in the Bermuda Triangle that was buried by the flood? Outside of Scripture, there is fascinating evidence that mankind possessed technology at least on par with ours today. The Hindu Vedas are religious texts originating in ancient India around 1500 B.C. They contain the oldest scriptures in Hinduism. In the Mahabharata, we find an account of what can only be described as nuclear war. In the Kurukshetra War, a projectile weapon called Brahmastra was used and produced explosions that leveled everything. Animals were engulfed in flames. Unborn babies died in the wombs of their mothers. Metal armor melted onto the skins of the warriors who wore it. Birds fell from the sky and turned white. The projectile was as bright as 10,000 suns. Now, written 3,500 years ago at least, the Mahabharata, it reads, "...a single projectile charged with all the power in the universe." An incandescent column of smoke and flame as bright as 10,000 suns rose in all its splendor. It was an unknown weapon, an iron thunderbolt, a gigantic messenger of death, which reduced to ashes an entire race. Their hair and nails fell out. Again, these words were written over 3,500 years ago in this ancient Hindu texts. The ancients had advanced knowledge that rivals our own today. Hindu mythology tells of the Brahmastra, a cataclysmic projectile weapon that laid waste to entire cities. Now, today in India, the ancient region of Rajasthan has a city that is covered in radioactive cinder, three square miles of it. Again in India, at Mahenjo Daro, skeletons have been found that are more radioactive than the skeletons found at Hiroshima, Japan, where an atomic bomb was dropped in 1945. The stones at Mohenyo Daro have been melted together in the buildings. Now, there's also a giant crater in India near Bombay. This giant crater looks like an impact site. Could it be an impact of a Brahmastra detonation? Now, even if someone is skeptical that nuclear war might have taken place, they cannot deny that words written over 3,500 years ago tell of advanced technology that rivals our own today. Dr. Robert Oppenheimer, the chief scientist of the Manhattan Project, is quoted as saying, Ancient cities whose brick and stone walls have literally been vitrified, that is, fused together, can be found in India, Ireland, Scotland, France, Turkey, and other places. There is no logical explanation for the vitrification of stone forts and cities, except from an atomic blast. Now, also of interest, the ancient Hindu texts record a craft capable of flight. They are described as flying palaces. One passage reads: "Jumping the space speedily with a craft using fire and water containing 12 pillars, one wheel, three machines, 300 pivots, and 60 instruments. Even if you think the idea of flying objects back in the ancient past, is ridiculous. You can't deny that words written over 3,500 years ago are fascinating words for the time they were written. Now, was this technology that was taught to mankind by the watchers? The Apocryphal Book of Enoch lends credence to this theory. Enoch chapter 8 verse 1 reads, and Azazel taught men to make swords and knives and shields and breastplates and made known to them the metals of the earth and the art of working them. Chapter 9, verse 6 says, Thou seest what Azazel hath done, who hath taught all unrighteousness on earth and revealed the eternal secrets which were preserved in heaven, which men were striving to learn. Now, the Scripture does say that Tubal-Cain was an artificer, a worker of metals. So we do know that they did metal mixing according to Scripture. So Scripture tells us that angels taught knowledge to mankind in Revelation chapter 21, verse 17. It reads, and he measured the wall thereof, an 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man that is of the angel. So, while the book of Enoch tells us that the watchers, the fallen angels, taught all kinds of forbidden knowledge to mankind, Scripture backs up this idea in Revelation 21, where the man is measuring heaven, and it says that the angels taught the cubit to mankind. The cubit was a measurement of an angel, and now it is of the man. Fascinating to be backed up in Scripture. Now, at the end of times, the earth will be consumed with fire. Second Peter chapter 3 reads, verse 10, 11, and 12. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming day of the God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? So, again, we have a fascinating story from texts that are at least 3,500 years old in the Hindu religious texts that talk about technology that mankind possessed. Many thousands of years ago, what technology was destroyed purposely by God, but destroyed in the great flood of Noah? God chose Noah to survive the flood because Noah was perfect in his generations. According to Genesis chapter 6 verse 9, his bloodline had not become tainted with that of the B'nei HaElohim, which were the watchers, the fallen angels who descended from heaven in Genesis chapter 6, slept with human women, and had giant offspring, according to Genesis chapter 6, verse 4. So what technology was buried by the great flood of Noah? It's a fascinating topic, which we do cover more and get into more in my book, The Earth As It Was. Be sure to follow Marginal Mysteries on YouTube, Facebook. We're on most of the popular platforms. But we study Elohim's awesome creation, and we ask questions about all of it, such as the giants, the watchers, the technology that mankind possessed. We also generally make a couple of videos a month on these mysteries of God's universe of the Bible. So feel free to follow us on YouTube, Facebook, or any other platform.
0: Our featured resource today is Michael Samuel Smith's brand new DVD, The Second Coming of Moses. This is a great educational resource for the entire family. Be prepared for a Moses story that you'll never forget. Order your copy of The Second Coming of Moses when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Tomorrow, more insight on the prophecies that are found with Moses. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station by downloading our SWRC mobile app or by subscribing to our daily Watchman on the Wall podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and has been supported for over 90 years by faithful listeners like you. Please visit our website, swrc.com.